going for a Chinese, the Manchurian crisis, and the weaknesses of the League of Nations. This podcast is part of a sequence uh, in which we're looking at the weaknesses of the League of Nations. You need to listen to this one alongside the podcast on the Abyssinian crisis and alongside the podcast on whether the League was doomed from the start. So the background to the Manchurian crisis is really quite simple. By 1920, Japan has become a major power over in East Asia. However, the depression has hit it very, very hard. Japan is an island with a rapidly growing population, so it needs more land. But more importantly, it's just starting to gear up a modern economy. Therefore, it needs new markets for its goods. Both of those things are available nearby in Southeast Asia. So Japan has actually taken over Korea. It's starting to create, a, carve out an empire for itself. The next place that it's going to look is, of course, China. Now, China is in a bit of a mess at this point. It's disorganized. The center cannot hold and various outlying areas are starting to fly away from main control. As part of this and as part of their expansionism, Japan has long had control of the South Manchurian Railway, which runs in the area of Manchuria, just north of Korea. In September 1931, Japan claims that the South Manchurian Railway has been sabotaged by an explosion. Now, whether this explosion happened or not, we do not have the evidence to say. We do have the evidence to say that the railway service was not disrupted in any way. So even if there was some form of sabotage, it wasn't major. In any case, the sabotage itself is not important. What is important is that the sabotage gives the Japanese army the excuse they need to invade Manchuria. And that is a really, really important point. It is the Japanese army that makes this decision, not the civilian government, not the emperor. Indeed, once the army rolls in and takes over all of Manchuria, defeating the Chinese army very, very simply, the civilian government of Japan orders the army to withdraw. The army refuses this instruction. From this point on, the army is more or less calling the shots in Japan. China, quite naturally, having been the victim of blatant aggression, they've done nothing wrong here, they've simply been attacked, they appeal to the League of Nations. After all, the entire point of the League of Nations is supposed to be protecting countries from aggression by other countries. And this is an example of just naked aggression. There is no cause, no reason other than Japan's imperial ambitions in Southeast Asia. So, China appeals to the League of Nations, but Japan says that it's merely settling a little local difficulty. A full year passes until the League of Nations is ready to issue their report an entire year. By that point, Japan has solidified its hold on Manchuria. 
It's very unlikely they're going to let go if they've been there for an entire year, but the league insists on sailing its officials around the world to have a look at the situation on the ground and then sail them all the way back and then report back to Geneva. And this takes an awful lot of time. After a year, the report comes out, and the report is absolutely unequivocal. This is naked aggression on the part of the Japanese, and they should withdraw immediately. And Manchuria should be returned to the control of China. Japan disagrees. Indeed, Japan states very early in February 1933 that they are intending to move into more of China. In February 1933, this report, which says that Manchuria should be returned to China and Japan should basically wind its neck in and get the hell out of there, is accepted by the Assembly by 42 votes to one. Would you like to guess who voted against? Of course, Japan did. And remember, the Assembly generally has to vote unanimously. In this case, they're not, because Japan is not going to vote for itself. However, Japan regards the fact that the other 42 members have voted against them as being an insult, and as a result, leaves the League of Nations. A week later, they invade the rest of China, and again manage to quite easily defeat the Chinese army, and they take over the Zhuhol province. So the League now has to decide what to do with this. Japan has left them, it has refused to turn over control of Manchuria back to China, it has indeed launched itself on a program of further expansion and aggression against other countries. At this point they turn to their original charter. They have three possible options. They have moral condemnation. They've already tried that, it didn't work. Japan didn't care. So then they have economic sanctions. And at this point, they look around and they realize they have a problem. 80% of the trade with Japan comes from the United States of America. And the United States of America isn't a member of the League. Therefore, there are no economic sanctions that they can put in place which can have any sort of an effect. There is talk of banning the sale of arms and armaments and weapons to the Japanese, but they can't even agree on that. Not only that, Britain has a great deal of trade interests in Southeast Asia, and Britain appears to be more concerned with maintaining good relations with Japan than with enforcing the will of the League. So, economic sanctions are a no-flyer. The final option is military sanctions. But again, nobody's willing. None of the major powers of the League are willing to send their troops halfway around the world, because remember, all of the major powers of the League are based in Europe. The only major power of the League based in Southeast Asia was, well, Japan. So none of them are willing to send their troops halfway around the world to stick their neck out for China. And so the League is able to do nothing the League is reduced to standing on the sidelines and wagging its finger at Japan and saying, you are very naughty, Japan. Don't do it again. And the problem is, this makes the League look weak. It makes the League look ineffectual. And the reason it makes the League look these things is because in this case, the League has been 
week. The league has been completely ineffectual at dealing with an aggressive country acting aggressively to its neighbours. There is simply nothing they can do that they are willing to do. And possibly more damaging than this, even more so than everybody looking at the league and realising that they have been weak and ineffective, is that there are a couple of countries who are watching and starting to think, well now, isn't this interesting? The two countries that are watching are Germany and Italy. And they are paying very, very close attention because they've been held in check by the thought of what the league might do. But now that they can see that the league isn't going to do, well, nothing, there's nothing to hold them in check. So that's the bare bones of the Manchurian crisis. There are obviously some details that you need to look up for yourself. But what you need to remember is it's an act of aggression by Japan. It takes the League a long time to react. And when they do, their reaction is largely worthless. It's nothing more than words. And it leaves them with nowhere else to go. And that weakens them going into the future because they've empowered other people who might want to try something similar. They've already shown that they are unwilling to follow through. It's like making an idle threat. If you make an idle threat to somebody and you never follow it through, then they are more likely to do something the next time because they know there's no power behind what you're saying. So you need to be very clear on what the events of the Manchurian crisis are. You need to be very clear on what its effect was on the League. And you also need to be clear on how it feeds into the Abyssinian crisis, which is going to be the subject of the next podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and good luck in your exams.